shake hands, kiss, or bow. Certain gestures like pointing the bottom of your foot in some countries can be very offensive. What is the proper hello? If you're going international to do business, you need to understand something about the culture. It all depends on where you are. One story I found was very interesting is that the interpreter said, now when you go across the room to meet this person, you really should go across on your knees. And he did it and got much more respect for even understanding that should have been done in that situation. Learning to play nicely in the international sandbox. Everyone knows Google Translate or Microsoft Translate. Anyone who speaks the native language will immediately know that you're relying on some sort of automated translation service and you haven't really done the full job. Frankly, it makes you look like you're not serious. Translating Korean into Norwegian and getting it right. We've built a very sophisticated translation brokering engine. The customer support agents actually becomes fluent in over 150 languages with a simple click of a button even though they don't speak that language. This is The Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone planning a startup. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. Shake hands, kiss, or bow. On this episode, we look at cultural differences and not letting the message get lost in translation. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. When it comes to international business communication, technology is great, but sometimes it only gets you so far. You need a personal touch in order to finally get the deal done. That's where Wendy Pease comes in. She is president and CEO of Rapport International, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you for having me. How do international business communication and foreign language translation relate to one another? Well, imagine if you're trying to do international business and you don't speak the language of the other person. How are you going to accurately communicate what you're trying to get across? So clear communication takes good translation and good interpretation. Why couldn't in this day and age you just use Google Translate? I admire Google Translate. What they've done is very appropriate for getting the gist of something. But if you actually have a translation that could affect your bottom line, then it's very important to have a real person do the translation. Translation versus localization. Well, there is translation, there's globalization, there's localization, and that all refers to written. If it's anything to do in the spoken area, that would be interpretation. And which do you recommend to your clients? Basically, a translation is going to give you a good, solid meeting. Globalization and localization really refer to how it's translated. So if I'm taking a consumer product out, say, a, you know, a candy bar, and I'm selling it in Mexico, I'm going to put pesos down, and I'm going to make local references to, to activities that somebody might be doing when they're eating that. But you can't use that same translation in Spain, even though it's both Spanish, because you're going to want to have local references to sell it. So that would be localization. Globalization might be more for like an engineering manual on how to use a, a medical device or something like that, because you could use one good Spanish that could cover all the Spanish-speaking markets. How do you keep current with new terms, especially when books are printed? That is why you need a person. There's about 3,000 words a year added to a language. I love this little book here. It's a dictionary from 1943. So you can see how small it is and how many words there were. And just in the interest of coming here, I thought, well, let me Google you know, Webster and find out how many words were added last year to the dictionary and what words they were. There were over 2,000 words added in, and we had some like FOMO, 
Fear of missing out. There yes. you go. So you're up with it. Or selfie. I'm sure we've all used course, that right. by now. Farm share. A literal with? definition of farm share where you're sharing in a farm cooperative? Yes, yeah. yes. So you'd buy in and then you go out yeah. on a weekly basis and, sure. and buy the produce. So there's words like this that we'll start using all the time in our vernacular, but it aren't in the dictionary. So that's why it becomes important to have a real person doing the translation. On your website, it says that you handle 100 languages at one time. How is that possible? Well, we have experts in languages and subject materials. So we have enough to cover 100 languages. Plus, they divide out. You wouldn't want a technical writer writing your marketing material or vice versa. So you have to have somebody that has an expertise in the subject matter. And what is Rapport International's competitive advantage vis-a-vis -vis other language translation agencies? We've come up with a service called the Rap Alert, And what it does, it gives us an automatic notification when anything's been changed in the English language website. It alerts us to take it through your process to make sure that all your in-language websites are updated. So it takes it from over a 21-step process down to one step, multiple people involved down to one point of contact, and then it used to take weeks to do, and we can turn it around in days. How so. does culture and business merge together in a work like Hispano and Shake Hands? I love this book because if you're going international to do business, you need to understand something about the culture. And that's a neat thing about having an interpreter who's good and trained with you is because they can give you cultural clues. Because you can get so much out of a book, you can get so much from visiting the country, but if you're actually doing business, an interpreter will help guide you. One story I found was very interesting is that somebody went in and the interpreter said, now when you go to the room, across the room to meet this person, you really should go across on your knees. And he thought the interpreter was joking, but found out it was accurate. And he did it and got much more respect for even understanding that should have been done in that situation. And your final two books? Just to remind people that with gestures, just as in printed language, that pictures are really important. So if you're doing a Spanish brochure, you would have people that look Hispanic that are represented in the pictures. Learning about certain gestures, like pointing the bottom of your foot in some countries can be very offensive. And languages of the world? There's over 3,000 languages in the world. So when we say we do 100, it sounds like a lot, but there's a ton of them. Wendy, thank you. Thank you. Wendy Pease, President and CEO of Rapport International. Coming up, translating Korean into Norwegian and getting it right. But first, learning how to play nicely in the international sandbox as the language of business continues. Thanks, Don. Lance Shaw is Director of Product Marketing at Commvault and has over 25 years of experience in product marketing. Welcome to the language of business. Thanks for having me. 25 years, what has been your biggest lesson? I wish you wouldn't have said that, but now I feel old. <laughs> My biggest lesson, learn how to collaborate and play nice in the sandbox. It is amazing to me sometimes how organizations or individuals and teams cannot get things done in terms of running a business without being able to collaborate. What does a company have to think about before getting into different locales? You know, really need to think about it from a top-down level, really. Uh, organizations oftentimes think simply, hey, we'll translate a web page, and we're suddenly going to be in that market. Hey, voila, we now have a presence in France or Germany or Thailand or wherever it might be. And in fact, that's actually the exact wrong approach, really. It needs to be thought through from a perspective where you're actually going to drive revenue, where you've thought through exactly what audiences you want to target and why you want to enter that market, right? considering competitive threats and really thinking about it from a strategic perspective. 
That's really the first thing you want to think about when entering a new locale or looking to expand your business on any kind of global level. What is the difference between translation and localization? I'll start with translation. Organizations will sometimes say, well, I'll just use automated translation services. I'll use, you know, everyone knows Google Translate or Microsoft Translator or any number of these basically free services, and I'll get close enough. From a translation perspective, that will fail. Anyone who speaks the native language will immediately know that you're relying on some sort of automated translation service and you haven't really done the full job. So for, for proper translation, you really want to have things done you know, in, that include uh, an actual native speaker doing the translation checking, making sure that you're uh, addressing cultural issues or sensitivities and that sort of thing. To be localized, I think it's more than just translation. It's providing an entire customer experience uh, that is in that native language. So yes, I translated my uh, install guide, I translated my web page, I've translated part of my demand gen process, but I have to have that whole holistic experience all the way down into support. Otherwise, I'm really not providing a localized experience. Could you give us some personal experiences of when it's been done right and wrong? <laughs> yes, I can. Uh, certainly on the right side, I've worked previously for an organization that approached localization and uh, really their global presence at a strategic level. They had an organization dedicated to that process. It was thought through from top down. They defined what their tier one languages were going to be and they went after those languages with a complete program. They had tier two languages where they did less, but they, you know, they knew they had smaller markets. And in some cases they would allow business partners to enter that market and provide their services for them. For example, they knew they wanted to enter the Hungarian market didn't really have a presence, couldn't really call that tier one, but we had partners on the street there in Budapest and other areas that could provide those services and so we leveraged them. So in that organization we thought about providing international services from the top down. It was everything from the presence in the field, the ability to provide support in that native language, the ability to provide robust documentation and web materials in that language. That was really where it was well done. Now, think about when it's not well done, it's pretty much the opposite of that. Maybe the aforementioned case where we translate the web page and, okay, we are now in that market, and it's actually doing a disservice to customers. It completely backfires. It makes you look like you're not committed as a company. Frankly, it makes you look like you're not serious. How do product marketing and language play nicely in the same sandbox? For me as a director of product marketing, I'm concerned with revenue generation, lead generation, demand gen quality, right? So I want to make sure that when customers are looking at my product and can discover my offering and ultimately consider us and enter into a discussion from a sales perspective, that they have the right materials. It's like what you and I would do buying a car, right? We do all this research before we ever set foot in a dealer. And our customers are the same way. They will do all this research and look at your assets and evaluate you and how you compare to your competitors before they ever engage in a sales conversation. So all of those assets have to be delivered in a localized manner. And so that's one thing that I focus on as a product marketing manager. We focus on a particular locale to have all the critical assets to move the customer through that journey of awareness, discovery, then to consider your product and ultimately make a purchase. What's the difference between revenue generation and demand generation? Well, demand gen ultimately, if it's done right, will lead to revenue generation, right? So from a demand gen perspective, I'm going to reach out and generate either assets or information that will drive customers to learn more about my product and generate leads that will ultimately be qualified to move to sales. And those leads eventually would then, hopefully, if everything goes well, and I have the, the best product and the best solution for their problems, I'm gonna generate revenue. Lance, thank you. Thank you. Lance Shaw, Director of Product Marketing for Convo. Still to come, translating Korean into Norwegian and getting it right. Next on The Language of Business.
If you enjoy listening to podcasts, and I'm guessing you do because you've gotten this far into this one, let me tell you about another one I think you'll enjoy. It's called The Story Behind Her Success. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. That's what The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry is all about. Once a week, she'll make your day and change your life by introducing you to a woman whose story is so powerful, you'll never forget it. The program host is award-winning broadcaster Candy O'Terry. She's been the Massachusetts Broadcaster Association Broadcaster of the Year and winner of 18 Gracie Allen Awards. Candy has interviewed over 800 women from every walk of life, so there's no stumbling around in this podcast. Success is so much more than the outcome. It's about the journey. It's a story of how you got there. So buckle up and go along for the ride. The story behind her success with Candy O'Terry available wherever you get podcasts. Kiss, bow, or shake hands. You're listening to the Language of Business look at cultural communication and not getting the message lost in translation. One more time, here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. In social situations, people get a kick if something is lost in translation. But what happens if it affects your business? Karna Kovovic is the co-founder and owner of Language.io, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Why is communication so important for a business? I can think of three different reasons at the top of my head. Revenue, obviously, is one of them. It's generally understood that people buy what they can read. So if you can provide information in the language of your customers, they're going to buy more. Secondly, customer experience. If you can provide information, content, website content, customer support, marketing material, etc., in the language of your customer, they're going to be a much happier customer. So a much happier customer means they're going to talk about you in their own markets and you're going to again get more revenue. It's also a cost reducer actually. So if you provide for instance customer support in the language that your customer speaks, they're going to have less need to come back to you because they didn't understand what you were trying to help them with. What happens if it's a domestic business? Well, a domestic business, if you look at the U.S., you have about 30 million people in the U.S. that speak Spanish as their first language. So if you actually want to address that market, you want to target that market, you need to provide this kind of information to them in Spanish. When things go wrong, what are the implications? A lot of different things. If you, for instance, provide some language support, but it's not good language support, you may actually create a really bad experience for a customer and they're going to talk about you negatively in that particular market and it'll be hard to get past that. If you provide no language support whatsoever, imagine that you want to buy a t-shirt, say from a Japanese company. And that entire transaction is going to have to happen in Japanese. Now, granted, if you speak Japanese, that's fine. But if you don't, are you likely to buy a T-shirt from that company compared to if you're buying from someone that provides all of this, the entire transaction in the language that you speak? And when you get it right? A lot more happy customers, which means a lot more revenue. Look at one of our customers, for instance, a local global company here in Massachusetts. They provide customer support in over 19 different languages with the help of our software. And they have actually lowered their customer support costs with over 41% because they provided translated self-help for their customers on their website. So their customers could go there and search for help themselves in the language that they speak. What's the difference between a happy customer versus a non-complaining customer? A happy customer is likely to be a repeat customer. They're going to come back, they're going to recommend you to all of their friends, their families, etc. A non-complaining customer just had a so-so customer experience. They're not going to come back. You're not going to get any additional revenue from them. 
Why doesn't Google Translate the ideal solution? So Google Translate is awesome for, for instance, getting a gist for something when you don't understand that particular language. But it is not the ideal method for professional communication with the customer. You've probably used Google Translate yourself, so you know how it can mess up at times. So if you want to have a professional conversation or communication with one of your customers, you need to use professional human translation or a combination of machine, good machine translation and professional human translation to get that perfect interaction with your customer. How is Language.io trying to bridge the gap? So we've built a very uh, sophisticated translation brokering engine that will broker translation requests between a customer and the company that they're trying to communicate with so that the customer support agent, for instance, actually becomes fluent in over 150 languages with a simple click of a button, even though they don't speak that language. Our product brokers the translation between the customer and the company by using you know, machine translation. Google Translate is one of the you know, tools that we use, but we also use professional human translation and more sophisticated translation engines. You've been involved with the industry for decades. What keeps you up at night about changes? I get frustrated at times when I see companies that don't realize the potential that they have by targeting international markets and by also thinking that you know if we just provide this in English everyone will come. It doesn't work like that. That's one of my frustrations. There's a lot of excitement that keeps me awake as well. Seeing where the industry is heading, seeing the the various tools that are popping up that we can use and also you know solving the problems for our customers customers to help them target and grow globally with some very simple means. Of all of the languages you speak, which is your favorite one? Swedish. Because it's your native tongue? Yeah, probably. I kind of like English as well. I think I'm doing fairly well with it. But, you know, so Swedish and English, either one. I dream, actually, in both languages. Karna, thank you. Thank you. Karna Kavoga, co-founder and owner of Language.io here in Salem, Massachusetts. Thanks, Greg. And that's our episode this week. The episode title of Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands is based on Terry Morrison's six-book series of the same name. You can find a link to her books, as well as links to all our guests' webpages, on the episode show notes. If you don't know how to get to that, just go to lobpodcast.com. There it is. If you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.